Hi, and welcome to PCTY Talks. I'm your host, Sherry Simpson. During our time together, we'll stay close to the news and info you need to succeed as an HR pro. And together, we'll explore topics around HR thought leadership, compliance, and real life HR situations we face every day. On today's episode, I have Jeff Harry, workplace play consultant, international play speaker, positive psychology play whisperer. Good morning, Jeff. How are you today? Hello. I'm doing good. So everyone's talking about the importance of psychological safety, but I'm curious, like practically, what does that mean? Yes. So... There's so many buzzwords out here right now, right? Be your authentic self. Bring your full self to work. And she's like, well, what is, yeah, what does that mean? What does psychological safety mean? I believe psychological safety uh, is defined by how comfortable staff is with sharing hard stuff, hard information, and having hard conversations with their leadership. And if you can't do that, then there isn't psychological safety. You can measure psychological safety at a meeting by how much people are laughing, by how much people are like, like joking around or, or willing to like go off topic, but trust one another to actually come back on topic. But you can feel it. You can almost feel it in the room when it's so tense, you know? So there's a lot of like amorphous ways of like measuring psychological safety that I think are actually more important than some of the measurable ones. We've all heard those horror stories of trying to coach managers on how to do this. You know, I remember back, this was several years ago, um, and I was working with a manager and getting some feedback from their employees. We had done a survey. We had shared the feedback high level with some, you know, pretty important quotes from, from the employee's feedback. And this manager went back to the team and said, which one of you said this? And I, I was like, I was shocked. I couldn't believe. I didn't even think to tell the manager, hey, that's like not how you go back and right. talk about this with your employees. Um, and in that moment, they completely invalidated the feedback. They ruined yes. any trust the employees had with them. Right. And so as I think about teaching managers this concept, what do you think are some of the table stakes for them to really learn to start this process? Well, okay. So there's, there's two ways to approach this first, right? There, and I've told this to a lot of organizations, there are certain managers that were better at their initial job and they only got promoted to become middle management because they were good at the last job. Oh, you're good at sales. So now you'd be great at managing a bunch of salespeople and they're horrible at it and they also don't want it, right? They may want the pay, right? But at the end of the day, they're just not good managers and that's not their skill set. So I think a lot of companies first have to look at that and be like, okay, who's not in the right role? Who still should be on the bus, but maybe is in a better role somewhere else, right? And maybe was like a better producer when they just were doing their own work. So there's that. And then I think for the managers that have the ability, right, just don't have the actual training, I think you have to really first understand what it means to build trust. Because like when you describe that manager, they just don't even get it. Like it doesn't even understand, what, what, you know, 
And you can tell when you're talking to a manager and you're like, oh, well, you got to build trust. Well, how do I do that? I don't really know. Oh, well, you know your staff's languages of appreciation. I, what is that? I don't <laughs> understand that. Um, do you know what motivates your staff? No, not really. Do you know what their favorite type of work at their job is now? Are you curious about any of that? <laughs> like, and if you're not, it's not the right job for you. But if you are, then just start having those conversations with them. And then what I think a lot of people, a lot of managers don't realize, it's always the action. It's never the words. What actions have you done lately for that, that uh, employee? And I say this a lot to a lot of leadership. I always am asking them, what is the worst behavior you're currently tolerating? And if you are currently tolerating that behavior and allowing Chad to not do any work, but claim all the work, you know, that he's not doing, then you're setting the tone for everybody else. So if leadership is not, or I mean, if staff is not seeing leadership take on those bigger challenges, then they know that like, it doesn't really matter what they do. And they're just going to keep their heads down and, you know, hide and do mediocre work. <laughs> right. You know, I think about, I think about this a lot, those kind of intro questions when you join a team, like what are the things you're learning? And, um, a, somebody had shared this as, as part of their ritual when they bring new hires on, they ask, how do they like to collaborate with team members? And that's a new one I hadn't mm -hmm. heard recently. And I think it's, I love that because it's, it's trying to like frame, you know, do you think you thrive more one-on-one? -on -one? Do you think you yeah. thrive with a partner or with several teammates? I thought that was really interesting. Um, so let's say you're doing all the things. You're asking the right questions, but you're not quite there yet. You want to kind of level up this psychological safety in your group. Yeah. What are some activities that managers can do to, to bring it to the next level? Yeah. So I first want to address to make sure that people are, managers aren't doing forced fun, right? You know, so I hate forced fun. I ran team building events for 10 years. It's not the most effective. If Chad and Samantha don't get along, you put them in an escape room together. They're not going to get along after they come out. Oh, well, no, it's going to be a hard challenge for them together. No, no. So I think a lot of the times we think of like, okay, what's the steps that we can do? I think a lot of the actions on the part of the manager are actions of communicating how much they care about their staff. So, for example, if you do understand your staff's languages of appreciation and you recognize its acts of service, what if on a Friday you were like, hey, I know something's happening with your family at home where you haven't got a lot of time to spend time with them. I'll take over this part of your work. Oh, my gosh, really? Or words of affirmation. You've been doing a really amazing job. Not only am I going to praise you within the team, but I'm going to praise you outside of the team to the other departments, just in case you want to transfer in the future, right? And that's like crazy because you're like, oh, what? Well, what? I'm risking losing this person, but you're more likely to actually keep them. I remember we had a staffer who got a dream job at his dream company, but because we had his back more he decided not to go to that company because the culture at our organization provided him the ability to spend more time with his family that gave him flexibility to do work the way he wanted to do and just just give him more freedom to be autonomous right so again recognizing what your staff actually appreciates their you know whatever that language of appreciation is if it's gifts and they love money right a thing you can do 
instead of giving the bonus at the end of the year, which usually only shows a small spike in productivity, you can take that same bonus of a thousand or five thousand or ten thousand and spread it out over the same over the year, much more productive because you're recognizing them every time they're doing a good job. So those are just some of the ways. The other way I would ask the build psychological safety is like, do you know your staff's flow work? Do you know the work where they forget about time? What's their zone of genius work? Oh, it's that they love to talk to clients. What percentage of time are they talking to clients right now? 15% of the time. Could you increase it to 25 or 30%? That's only like a couple more hours a week, but studies have shown you're 500% more productive, five times more productive when you're in flow. So if you give them that, it has a ripple effect on the productivity of the rest of their work, as well as their job satisfaction. So when you're doing those tangible actions, then your staff is like, oh, he actually cares. He's actually listening to me. (laughs) I love the flow of genius. I think about that a lot in, in my own work is trying to remember like, hey, what are the things that jazz me and what keeps me most focused. Um, and I have to structure my day around that because I, I've come to mm-hmm. some conclusions that like, I can't do these types of meetings at this time during the day, because you're just not going to get, you're going to get like 50% Sherry and not right. hundred percent are engaged, you know, managers. And, oh, go ahead. And one more thing. Like, so imagine if you, so you, so you love podcasting, I'm assuming, because this is, this is part of your zone of genius. So Paylocity giving you this opportunity to do this is super exciting, right? And awesome um, because you feel seen and heard and you get a chance to play. But imagine someone else being like, oh, podcast, you got to do this podcast. And they're like an introvert and don't want to do it. All of a sudden, it's not the right. So again, we have to be very clear about understanding and listening to our staff and really seeing them for who they are. When they say be your authentic self, it's more, I think, the idea of not, can I show up this way? It's more, can you see me? Do you see me? The real me, and not like asking me to be the fake me at work, because that's exhausting. It is a really good point, and I think it's one of the pitfalls that managers fall into is um, trying to create opportunities instead of understanding what opportunities the employee wants. Is there yeah. other pitfalls that you've seen that are kind of common that managers run into? Um, I think managers lose track of what's actually important. I think that's a huge reason why we had the great resignation. I talk a lot about this all the time, toxic leadership, toxic masculine leadership. Um, we, we prioritize profits over people, you know, and when you do that enough and the people realize you don't care about them because your actions say this, regardless of what you said, because think about what happened during the pandemic. Some companies put people on furlough, never told them what, what was going on during that time. Others were going through like, uh, like financial peril, but did not provide transparency to their staff. So their staff didn't know what was going on, right? Or others were others were just straight gaslit. Like, hey, we're doing great. And then be like, hey, by the way, we got to fire you. You know, like, I think it was American Airlines. I believe it was American Airlines that like laid off or furloughed. I believe they furloughed as well as laid off 40,000 of their staff, right? Flight attendants, pilots, whatever. Eight months later, they were like, we, we can't find staff. You know, what, what happened? I don't understand. We're going to have to cancel all these flights due to a labor shortage. 
There's a labor shortage. You let go of people and then you just assume they would wait around until you were ready to rehire. Like the audacity of some companies. So I think we have to. So I would ask a manager or challenge a manager. I do. I say this a lot in my talks is have that conversation with your staff asking them, did we lose your trust or did we gain your trust during the pandemic? What were the actions that we actually did? What mistakes did we make? And being that we made those mistakes, what can we do now to rectify it? Because it's really easy to, um, well, it's really hard to gain trust back, right? But it's really easy to lose it. I love that question. You know, we, we're seeing that too as um, candidates are interviewing for roles now. They're asking employers, hey, how did you handle the pandemic? What did you do? Yeah. How did you treat your employees? So it's such, it's such a revealing, the answer is so revealing <laughs> in just so many ways. Um, it's so many, in so many ways, right? And, you, and, and I say this to managers as well. I'm like, you know, if you don't know what had happened, or no one's telling you because maybe you don't have you haven't built the psychological safety to have that conversation with your employees. Look at the exit interviews, right? Go back to those exit interviews. If you can talk to former staff, go to former staff. Go on Glassdoor and look at your own company and really lift the veil and confront a lot of the issues that you've been tiptoeing around. Because if you don't address those issues, your great resignation will continue. For as for for a long time, it'll just be a revolving door, and then you'll just blame. Oh, it's just the culture of Gen Z now. It's like no, it's your organization. Absolutely, you know you you actually recently wrote an article on toxic masculinity, and I'm I'm curious your perspective on how gender plays a role in creating psychological safety. You know, I'm trying to think of this from the perspective of like, is there specifics that one group needs to be aware of? And I guess this kind of falls along the same lines of like conscious or unconscious bias. Yeah. Yeah. I, I when I talk a lot about dismantling toxic masculinity, and I, I want to clarify this because some people misinterpret it. It's not anti-men. You know, what toxic masculinity is, is simply this um, skewed version of masculinity that is built on like aggression and like competition and sometimes like violence, right? Like even... And the way in which many leaders that embrace toxic masculine traits, um, that that is what happened as to why a lot of people quit their jobs. That's why 41.2 million people quit their jobs back in 2021. So when I'm talking about, okay, how do we dismantle toxic masculine leadership in the workplace? We have to start celebrating more so feminine leadership traits such as collaboration, such as empathy, such as compassion, such as, um, you know, lowering your ego, such as play, right? I, I embrace a lot of feminine uh, leadership traits, right? That's how I ran my last organization. And the reason why that's really important is because that is what's needed right now, shared humanity, compassion, and empathy. And you see the results of that. Jacinda Ardern, the New Zealand prime minister, both showed up with feminine and masculine leadership when she was trying to deal with COVID. And she was very clear and stern and, you know, and um, 
strong in her leadership, but she was also very compassionate, understanding of her citizens. And because of that, they had the lowest COVID rates like in the world, lowest death rates, right? That's what happens when you focus on finding balance between masculine and feminine leadership. Dan Price for gravity payments, the guy that offered $70,000 a year minimum wage and everyone laughed at him back in 2015. His staff did not lay off anyone during the pandemic. Why? Because, Because he got there back in 2015. Many of them were willing to take a pay cut during the pandemic so no one could be laid off. And then in addition to that, the way he measures success is how many people have stayed and had babies while they're at gravity payments. So again, he's, you know, he's a guy, right? But he's embracing feminine leadership and also feminine, feminine ways of measuring success that are bigger than just the numbers. They're bigger than just the results. It's about like the holistic quality of how are you building your team? And how long do you want that team to last long after maybe you retire, right? How are we thinking about this? I just saw a TikTok about, you know, a lot of Japanese companies, their average length of time is that they've been around. It's like almost 50 years, some of them even longer. So they think in terms of 20 years down the road. Think about American companies or most Western companies, right? It's like, What's the next quarter going to bring us? And we can't be thinking in that like myopic sort of way anymore, right? We really have to be prioritizing the staff first because if you prioritize your staff first, as Zappos and Tony Shea showed, everything else will work out and you'll be much more profitable. Do you think as managers are trying to navigate developing this safety on their teams, is there anything that HR is doing where we're actually getting in the way of helping them succeed? Maybe, right? It it could be how are your performance reviews? <laughs> how do you assess those performance reviews? I know there was a few companies, Marcus Buckingham had talked about it, where their performance reviews included ranking your staff. So there was always someone at the bottom of the staff, right? Like I and I've been speaking to my friend Sarah Sarani about this, that we don't reward we, we reward me. And imagine if we rewarded more we, right? Imagine if the whole team got promoted or the whole team got like, you know, a joint bonus or the whole team got joint vacation of like, hey, I'll earn vacation, right? Instead of it so, being so individualistic because then that makes it an internal competition. So the more HR can help staff and help their leaders focus on what it means to be we, that is really helpful. But when HR is giving a lot of metrics that are difficult to measure or they pit people against one another, like some performance reviews, that's when it can become dangerous. I really like that advice. I think that's a, a really good tactic to think about you know, how you're looking at performance and reviews and, you know, something we've talked about before on the podcast is this idea of like looking forward, feeding forward instead of feedback. And it it just kind of goes along with that same thing. Um, Um, Oh, and can I answer, say one more thing? Also an easy way in which HR should know if they're helping or hurting is they should be asking consistently every, every quarter to team leaders, is our presence helping or hurting you? <laughs> as simple that as question. that. Yeah. And are are we are we making your life easier or harder? 
And then let's see, and then let's have that conversation. Yeah. You know, you spend a lot of your speaking time talking about play and fun at work. And I, and I know we're just, we're just audio. So you, you can't, our listeners can't see that you're wearing this amazing Lego bow tie, which just um, is brightening my day. But it, you know, when you're using play to build psychological safety, what are some of the things we need to consider? And you mentioned one earlier of like not forcing it, but what are some yeah. other things we need to think about? I think we don't understand how much practice is important. So, you know, I talk about how, you know, when the Chicago Bears play, they practice all week for a three hour game, right? All week for a three hour game. When when you watch NASCAR, I don't know if people are into NASCAR, but when you watch NASCAR, the coach is in the ear of the driver the entire time. When we go to work, there's no practice. We have no practice in having hard conversations, no practice on how to present some difficult to your leadership, no practice on facilitating. Like we're just thrown in and be like, you got to get all this work done. Hurry up and get this work done. So because of that, companies are and teams are so bad at having hard conversations. And we need more reps doing hard things and we don't get enough. So when I'm running my workshop on navigating difficult conversations or addressing toxicity, we actually do the reps and people don't like the reps at the, at the beginning. They hate it. They're like, Oh, role play. I got to, Oh, this is such like pretend. And it's just like, you're pretending it all every day. You're playing every day at work. You're just playing a role that you don't want. Right. So why don't you play a role you want? And the more we can embody what it feels like, the more we can feel the fear and then recognize fears as false evidence appearing real. And then you're like, oh, I've now practiced this hard conversation to confront this toxic person seven times with my colleagues, with my friends, everything. I'm ready. Like I can do this, you know, and it's and practice is always harder than actual the tangible at conversation. So when you get the reps in, you feel it and you feel grounded, you're much more likely to actually be able to do it right now. What people are doing is we're just tiptoeing around everything. And then there's just so much office politics BS and it's layered over years. So then people are like, well, it's just, this is just the way it is here. You know, can't do anything about it. Oh, that idea. Yeah. We did that idea 10 years ago, so we can't do it again. And it's just like, what's happening. There's so many layers of drama because no one wants to cut through the BS and just be like, let's call it what it is. It's super awkward right now. Can we have some conversations so we can make this less awkward and get more work done? Because they show the teams that are willing to have the hardest conversations, the teams that are willing to challenge one another are the teams that have the strongest psychological safety because they're willing to step into the conflict together and then they come out better because of it. I love that Willing to step into the conflict together. Um, that's a tweetable quote. I love that. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, as I, so I have one last question for you and I, and I think it's a no brainer and I'm, I'm playing a little bit of a devil's advocate here, but yeah. um, you know, why is it important? I mean, from a business perspective, if we're meeting our business uh, objectives and, you know, we're bringing in revenue and the things that we need to accomplish from business bottom line are happening, who cares if employees feel safe? So, uh, Alex Johnson, this phenomenal author, said the future is where people are having the most fun. If your company is not innovating and creating a safe place where people can play, where you create a playground where people have the autonomy, freedom, and the and the the knowledge and the know how to do work their way, 
they're going to leave. And if let's say they don't leave, right? Because you keep doing it the same way, it's just going to become stagnant and they're just going to do mediocre work until they can just retire. So I always say that quote of the futures where people are having the most fun, because if you look at the companies that were thriving during the pandemic, they were taking risks. They were constantly trying out new things. I mean, heck, the Washington Post hired a guy that just make TikTok videos. And all of a sudden, the Washington Post was the most well-known newspaper for Gen Zers. Washington Post, right? Like when you're willing to experiment and try new things out, that's where all the innovation is. And what's crazy and uh, ridiculous is you have so many managers that are like, whoa, 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 let's not take any risks. But let's also think outside the box. Whoa, 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 let's be innovative, but don't play too much, right? And now they want people to come back into the office and get in a square room around a square table and be like, we got to think outside the box. And you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, what are we doing? What are we doing? So when you create an atmosphere where it's playful, where you create an atmosphere where people feel seen and where you create an atmosphere where people feel psychological safety, they will do they will do their best work. They will do their best work and they'll be fully committed to it because they're actually tapping into their zone of genius and they actually feel appreciated. And I don't think we realize how much appreciation plays a role in how well people do their work. I couldn't agree more, Jeff. And this has been such a great conversation with some really great tactical pieces to take away if you're if you're thinking about how to build psychological safety in your organization and with your team. So Jeff, thanks for taking a couple minutes of your day. Thanks so much for having me. This was super fun. This podcast is brought to you by Paylocity, a leading HCM provider that frees you from the tasks of today so you can focus more on the promise of tomorrow. If you'd like to submit a topic or appear as a guest on a future episode, email us at pctytalks at paylocity.com.